Welcome to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. For free rankings, player values, waiver wire tips, and trade advice, follow him online at dynastyfreaks.com or email dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. Hello and greetings from Austin, Texas. Welcome all of you Dynasty Freaks. Admit it, you're a good Dynasty. I am too. My name is Justin Christopher and I am a Dynasty Freak, which means I love drafting and trading and scouting and managing all of my teams 365 days a year. So do you. So let's talk some Dynasty on episode 118. We are going to look back at week 15 and as well as look at some of, now it's kind of the time of the year where you can reflect back. Uh, Last week I gave you my uh, top five players that I think I was right about. Today I'm going to be uh, looking at the players that I was wrong about. So we'll have some fun with that. But first we'll talk about uh, week 15. Amazingly, uh, we've made it to the final week of the football season in a year that was filled with uncertainty. The NFL season moved along with very few hitches overall. And best of all, with few exceptions, fantasy teams were not adversely affected by COVID. I know a few starting players missed some games due to COVID, and then the entire Denver team was unstartable the week that they had didn't have a quarterback. But really, for the most part, fantasy teams can't blame COVID for how well they did this year or how well they didn't do this year. Um, Even so, starting rosters this week were filled with some very surprising players, which we'll talk about here in a minute. I hope that your teams fared better than mine. I know you don't care about my teams, but I lost three out of four semifinal games, uh, leaving me just one opportunity at a championship out of my eight dynasty leagues. I also made the final on one of my uh, two redraft leagues too, so I do have two finals to play for next week. But like I say, and I mean it, win or lose, it's a joy to watch football all weekend and cheer on our dynasty teams. So I'm glad uh, that we will complete the fantasy season uh, this Christmas weekend, just about a week away. We'll know who's been going to get crowned championships in your leagues. All that said, uh, following all the games, uh, here are some of my thoughts on week 15, or what you might call playoff week number two. I'll reflect back on my five overall thoughts, and then I'm going to reflect back on five of my worst calls of the year in regard to players. So first, just some general observation from this week. Uh, I'll call it surprise playoff lineups. Surprise playoff lineups. Uh, one of the things that stood out most to me this week was the players who started in lineups this week. Uh, no one would have expected to start some of these players in their semifinal playoff matches at the start of the season, but but they did, and it worked. I know I was knocked out of the playoffs by a team that started Ryan Tannehill, who's quietly become the seventh-ranked quarterback headed into, into this week, and he scored 37 points this week. Um, I, I was looking at rosters of other playoff teams, and another team I saw benched Tannehill for Phillip Rivers. They were just streaming their quarterbacks, and they still won their game since Rivers you know, had a decent day of 19 points. I looked at, around the, the lineups, and I saw that managers, many started J.D. McKissick on several of their teams that advanced to the, uh, the finals this week after he scored 21 PPR points. Uh, one owner in my leagues advanced to the finals using McKissick and Salvin Ahmed as his starting running backs. He did not expect that to be the two players he'd be starting in the playoffs, yet they combined for 40 points. I have Salvin Ahmed on my roster in four of my eight dynasty leagues, but I didn't have the guts to start him, uh, even though we knew that Gaskins was out. Um, if I did, though, I would have made at least advanced to the final in one of my leagues. And then, of course, there was this week, Tony Pollard. I got his first NFL start on Sunday, and he scored 28 points. More than Ezekiel Elliott has scored in a single game this entire season. So even in the playoffs, uh, streaming quarterbacks and picking up these handcuff running backs, it carries teams to wins. 
uh, even dynasty leagues. Some of these players were on the waiver wire when the season started. So that's my first reflection. I looked back at all the rosters of the teams that were in the Final Four and advanced to the Super Bowl and was surprised to see some of the players that they started this week that led them to wins. Similarly, my second observation was just reflecting back on the year. I'll be a little bit more reflective on the whole year, not just week 15. Um, I will call this a waiver wire wonders. Waiver wire wonders. Uh, This year, there were several players on the waiver wire to begin the season that became every week starters and really an incredibly incredibly, uh, valuable dynasty assets in in the case of a few of them. Dynasty managers that grabbed James Robinson off the waiver wire after the Jaguars traded for Leonard Fournette to Tampa Bay. Oh, man, they are happy, aren't they? In most dynasty leagues, it was Raquel Armstead. He was already on rosters and thought to be the lead running back after this trade was made early in the offseason. But savvy dynasty owners quickly picked up Divina Zigbo, who was on the waiver wire, but even more savvy managers picked up James Robinson instead. And I'll talk about this here instead of when I talk about my five bad takes, but I'll list this as my biggest regret for this season. Um, I picked up a Zigbo in many leagues instead of Robinson when Fournette was traded. And Robinson, of course, became one of the best and most reliable fantasy running backs this year and became the most tradable dynasty player this season because of his sharp rise in value. Uh, Robinson was the most traded player in the leagues that I'm a part of. If that's my biggest regret, then maybe I'd say my biggest success uh, was being the first manager to pick up Mike Davis off the waiver wire when reports circulated uh, during the offseason that Carolina's new coaching staff liked Davis to be Christian McCaffrey's backup instead of Reggie Bonifon, who most people considered at the time. Davis contributed many of my wins this season and was in the starting lineup of three of my four semifinal games this weekend. Unfortunately, both for Robinson and Davis owners, uh, they did not help their teams advance to the championship, most likely. I know they didn't for me. Uh, other waiver wire darlings uh, did, though. Take Robert Tunyon. Uh, Tunyon, I guess we're, we're told to say now. Uh, Tunyon has moved from waiver wire to an every week starting tight end and is really encroaching upon the top tier of dynasty tight ends, which I'll talk about here briefly, uh, or in a moment, rather. And then I look at others, so Tanya, Tanya was one. Uh, Miles Gaskin and Salvin Ahmed, I'll mention them last. They provided really some of the safest RB2 floors for managers who are wise enough to pick them up off the waiver wire this season, really averaging between them 12 points per game uh, when you knew the other one was starting, whichever the case was based on injury and, of course, this week based on, on COVID. All these players really contributed to wins this season and saw their dynasty stock rise uh, from entirely unranked to some, some of the top tier in the case of Robinson and Tunyon. They're, they're really among the top tier running backs and tight ends right now. And the others really rose to kind of a middle tier in the case of Gaskin, um, Ahmed, and, and Davis. Next, we'll talk about a third observation, just kind of as I reflected on the year, is just, I'll call this the tight end dead zone. <laughs> Robert Tunyon is approaching, like I said, the top tier of tight ends because of his consistency scoring touchdowns. But the elite tier of tight ends is a very, very small group. And if this year has taught me anything about having top-tier tight end in your rosters, it makes a massive difference in your team's success. Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller um, led their teams in targets, receptions, and yards. Tight ends that led their teams in targets, receptions, and yards so far. It's almost unfair uh, to have these guys on your roster because they provide such an advantage to the teams at that onesie position. I look back at all the teams that made the Super Bowl in my eight leagues. In six of my eight leagues, one of the Super Bowl teams has either Waller or Kelsey. That's not surprising. 
in a tight end premium league, I traded Jerry Judy in a 2021 first and 2021 second for Kelsey, and I've not regretted it one bit, although I lost this week in the playoffs, even though Kelsey had yet another good game like he always does. Um, Kelsey's the seventh highest ranked scoring player in that league, including all the quarterbacks. That's where he, that's where he ranks. And so he's well worth Jerry Judy and two first round picks. I think the Waller and Kelsey types don't grow on trees. And I think it is true that most NFL teams will not, just won't do it. They will not run offensive schemes that involve the tight end as the primary uh, target. But I do think I'm going to have to spend more some, some more time this offseason trying to determine the tight ends that could move into the top tier or at least populate that second uh, tier below Waller and Kelsey. I've typically punted on drafting tight ends in startup drafts and in rookie drafts. And I've not made aggressive trades for tight ends. And I've been content really just to try to find the tight end that give me a touchdown upside from week to week. And I'm, I'm honest enough to say that I think the strategy hasn't worked. I really plan to make trades this offseason for tight ends that have the Kelsey and Waller's athleticism and are among the leaders on their team in targets. Uh, I've not given time and thought to it yet, but I imagine that when I do, the tight ends that I'll be first thinking about will be TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, Dallas Goddard, and even now Logan Thomas. Should have mentioned him as a off-the-waiver-wire guy as well. I'll also be more than willing to draft a tight end prospect this year in rookie drafts. Someone like uh, Kyle Pitts comes to mind as someone that I would draft earlier where that wasn't part of my drafting strategy, rookie draft strategy in the past. Fourth thing that's kind of an overall observation, um, this is what I'll call can't find the end zone. This is more just a rant on how I was feeling this Sunday watching all these games. Uh, One of the things that stood out to me most this week was the frustrating fact that many leading wide receivers on their teams didn't score a touchdown this week while the ancillary wide receivers on their teams did. So Tyron Johnson scored, but not Keenan Allen. Jake Kumaro scored, of all people, but not Stefan Diggs. Michael Gallup scored, but not Amari Cooper. Chad Hansen and Kiki Kuti scored, but not Brandon Cooks. Zach Pascal scored twice, but not T.Y. Hilton. And Darnell Moody scored, not Allen Robinson. Des Bryant and Miles Boykin scored, but not Marquise Brown. Now most of these, not all, but most of these leading receivers did well this week as far as the number of catches and yards, but they lacked the touchdown that could have been the one thing that carried them to fantasy victories and advanced teams to their Super Bowls. Maybe this happens most weeks in the NFL, uh, but this week it sure felt particularly noticeable, perhaps because I needed more points from one of some from several of those players in very close games that I lost this week. No, no real analysis here, just the frustration of what could have been if these guys could have been the recipient of even one of their team's touchdown passes. And finally, last thing I have to talk about here is an overall observation. I'll call this running away with it. Uh, running away with it. I do think Carson Wentz has lost his job. Man, Jalen Hurts played well enough Sunday to cause the Eagles to, to seek a trading partner for Wentz. Uh, this, his contract, however, may prevent him from them from doing so and leave them in quite a bind. Uh, Hurts didn't carry his team to a win like he did in his first start, and, and his completion percentage at 55% leaves much to be desired. But his 401 offensive yards and four touchdowns kept the offense moving, something that Wentz could not do this entire year. What excites me the most about the prospect of of Hertz uh, becoming a starter for Philadelphia is all the shares that I have of Miles Sanders, Dallas Goddard, and Jalen Rager. (laughs) While Hertz spread the ball around to many players on Sunday, he really did, Goddard and Rager were his top two targets with eight each. And I really believe that Sanders, Goddard, and Rager are the future of this offense. They're young, and they're the best athletes on this team. All they lack is someone to distribute the ball to them and someone who can actually keep the offense moving. 
Uh, Hertz's dramatic play allows me to end the season, at least with hope, for the future of this Eagles offense. Really, it's an offense that I used to trust. My only regret is I don't have Hertz on any of my rosters at this point. So I'm excited about the Phillies, uh, pass catchers, and even Miles Sanders as a result of uh, Hertz play. Now let's talk about what I want to talk about, but I don't want to talk about. That's my bad takes list. Uh, last week I talked about five players that I believe I was right about and made moves to acquire last year. Well, this week I'll be honest about players that I was wrong about. Fact is, we all make mistakes in Dynasty, and so we have to be honest with our hits and our misses. Uh, here are, are going to be five of my biggest misses from last year. First one is Jordan Howard. <laughs> I uh, already spoke about Miles Gaskin and Salvan Ahmed, that they were some of the breakout stars this year off the waiver wire. I was really surprised that it was them and not Jordan Howard or Matt Breida. I made my off-season decision on Howard by following the money and by following the draft because Miami did not have a starting running back on their team headed into the offseason. Then they signed Jordan Howard to a two-year deal in free agency, and then they traded for Matt Breida during the draft instead of actually drafting one of the incredible running backs in the 2020 class, even though they had a lot of 2020 picks. It just seemed to me that Howard was bound to be the first and second down running back on a team that would like to establish the run. So I was right about the offensive philosophy, but I was wrong about their loyalty to the player that they had paid in Howard and the player they had traded for in Breida. I learned that Brian Flores is a no-nonsense coach who will play uh, the best players no matter what, their pedigree or their pay. Uh, this reality is a good thing for to note for, fut- for future when you're evaluating p- players and prospects, especially undrafted free agents like Gaskin and Ahmed, uh, who dominated carries in the games that they started this year. I traded for a second round pick. I traded uh, for a second. I traded a second round pick for Howard last year, and wished that I had the pick back, uh, as it would have resulted probably in a player like T. Higgins and Michael Pittman, as to, as far as where that pick was. Um, I also traded uh, Howard straight up for Tevin Coleman, which is more of a wash at this point, since neither player has much dynasty value. And then in my deal for Howard, I also drafted him in the 11th round of a 14-team startup draft last year. I've yet to cut him in that league because the league is so deep with 14 teams and 25-man rosters with no kickers or defense. Uh, But he's still likely to get dropped from my team at the cut-down date next year after we draft some rookies. Howard was the player that I was most hopeful for going into this year, but I was also very wrong about. Second player that I was wrong about, bad take would be Jack Doyle. Um, I didn't make any trades for Doyle last year, but I did pick him up off the waiver wire once Eric Ebron got signed, uh, once he signed with Pittsburgh, and then I drafted him in the 14th round of a 14-team startup draft that I just mentioned. Um, I've always believed that Frank Reich's schemes open up tight ends, and that when Ebron's de- with Ebron's departure, I figured Doyle would be the first in line to benefit. And then after the Colts signed Philip Rivers in free agency, my confidence went through the roof for Doyle because Rivers has a long history of targeting tight ends often. I feel like the process was right, but the result was not what I expected. I was very disappointed when Doyle was splitting time with both Mo, Mo Alleycox and Trey Burton. So far on the year, so we're not done with the year, but so far in the year, Doyle has had 459 snaps, Mo Alleycox 451, and Burton just 321. So Doyle leads the team in snaps, just barely, but he was not the player that they were scheming up in the red zone. Instead, that was Trey Burton, who has the fewest number of snaps, but he's the Reich's, play, he's Reich's player instead. With fewer touches, he has far more fantasy points this season. 
So even so, Burton was hardly a startable tight end this year. The Colts' tight ends just became an unstartable mess, and Doyle never started a game for me this season. I've continued to keep him on my roster in a few leagues, but I've also dropped him in a few of my leagues. Um, I do think that Mo Alley-Cox will take him over in snaps next year, and he'll be the one that competes for Burton. But Burton's going to be the one that's schemed up in the red zone for those looks, like I thought Doyle would be. I was wrong on Doyle. Um, but it's not really been that disappointing, <laughs> given uh, the value that I had for him. Third player that I'll say that I was wrong on was Antonio Gibson, rookie Antonio Gibson. I had Antonio as my 28th ranked rookie in the 2020 class. As a result, I didn't draft him anywhere. Uh, while his college film was full of highlights, he only had the ball. He only touched the ball 77 times in college. In my in my opinion, college experience and production are among the biggest factors that I weigh. They weigh the heaviest for me when looking at prospects and creating rookie rankings. So I decided that I just couldn't trust Gibson as much as 20 at least or the more than 27 other guys that I had ranked ahead of him. Also, the fact that he was a running back and a wide receiver in college made me suspect that he'd be more of a gadget guy in the NFL. I still uh, stand by the line of that line of thinking that caused me to rank him 28th, but I should have allowed his draft capital to change my opinion more than it did. Gibson was drafted by the Washington football team uh, early in the third round, and the team claimed that he was drafted to play running back and not receiver. Coach Rivera's offseason comparisons to the role of Christian McCaffrey, uh, whom he had with Carolina, seemed really outlandish, and I thought it was more coach speak to me. So I really refused to bump Gibson up my board, even after those two factors. I didn't get him in any draft, uh, any rookie draft, because my buddy, Dave Moogie, he drafted him in every league that we're in together. And he was right, and I was wrong. He, if low volume and multi-use highlight film prospects like Gibson come out again, um, I really will have to rethink my evaluation uh, of them. Finally, fifth player. No, we got a couple more. This is the fourth. Fourth player that I was wrong on is Chris Herndon. Uh, at the end of the season, I was convinced that Herndon would be the next breakout tight end. Yeah, after he missed the 2018 and 2019 season due to injury, managers dropped him from most of their dynasty rosters. So this time, last year, right at the end of last season, that's when I started picking him up in every league where he was available. Herndon did have one of the most productive rookie tight end seasons ever. And people forgot about this going into his second year and they dropped him. Yeah, when I made moves for Herndon, uh, New York's only returning wide receiver at that time was Jamison Crowder. I thought it was very possible that Herndon would be the second most targeted pass catcher in New York this year. Well, then the Jets signed Burchard Perriman in free agency. Then they drafted Denzel Mims. But even so, I was still confident in Herndon's upside. Well, Adam Gaze and the Jets <laughs> were one of the worst offensive teams this year in the NFL. And Sam Darnold missed about a third of the season. So, even so, with all that, uh, no excuses. The excuses aren't to blame for Herndon's lack of fantasy production. He's had every opportunity that he needs. By midseason, I dropped him from all but one of my leagues, which is tight end premium, so that's the only league where I held on to him. I'm still hopeful that Jets' offense will be reborn once Gaze gets fired and once they get a new rookie quarterback, but I'm also not going to run to the waiver wire like I did at this time last year to try to pick him up. I'm going to miss out on that opportunity or I'll have to outbid a team for him next year in the waiver wire if he does actually prove something. And finally, the last player that I was wrong about was J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. Um, I didn't make any offseason moves for J.J. last year, but I did keep him on all of my rosters well into this season. I pumped him up as one of my favorite bounce-back candidates last year during the offseason, um, and I was just dead wrong about him. 
But even Philadelphia, when they drafted Jalen Rager, I didn't waver in my belief in J.J. I, I suspected that he would win the starting role opposite of Rager. But then when Travis Fulgham came in out of nowhere to dominate targets and receptions for Philadelphia in the middle of the season, uh, that was when I was finally willing to cut my losses and admit that I evaluate, evaluated him poorly. At least I wasn't alone. <laughs> the Eagles famously drafted J.J. ahead of D.K. Metcalf, Deontay Johnson, and Terry McLaurin. The Eagles have been historically... Uh, one of the scouting departments that I trust the most. So that also played into my factor there. Uh, When they drafted him in the second round, I just assumed that they knew what they were doing and they'd give J.J. every chance to start uh, even after his awful rookie season. Um, I should have been more willing, I think, looking back at it now, I should have been more willing to drop J.J. quickly after the Eagles drafted four wide receivers in the NFL draft. Like that should have spoken enough to me. I'm still going to put faith in some of the team scouting departments that I really value ahead of others, but I think in the future I'll pay more attention to what team's draft picks say about their evaluation of the players already on their roster. So when someone drafts four wide receivers, they're pretty much telling me that, that they didn't believe in J.J. Arthago. I'd side after all. Those are some of my players that I missed on. I hope to kind of do this a little bit more in the coming weeks as we near the end of the season. One more year-round uh one more year-end podcast next week before we move into off-season mode. I'll continue to reflect back on my hits and misses. Good thing to do, even just as a dynasty owner, it helps you get better if you can really look honestly at what you've done. So next week, I'm actually going to look back at waiver wire moves and trades that I made and try to evaluate where I hit and where I missed. Makes you better as a dynasty owner. I hope that you would do the same. Thanks always for listening. Uh, I appreciate your support. Make it a two-way conversation anytime by contacting me at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. That's dynastyfreaks with two E's at gmail.com. I'd be honored if you take time to rate and review the podcast and Apple Podcasts. That would mean a lot to me and help other people find me. This is independent podcast. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I do appreciate your support. I do want to become, too, your most trusted independent voice in the Dynasty landscape. Until next time, you know what to do. In week number 16 in your Super Bowl, go out there. And get freaky. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. We welcome your thoughts and advice. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast or see on the website to help you dominate your league. Justin prides himself in responding to every email, so hit him up anytime at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com and follow him on Twitter at LonghornJustin. Justin.